it's amazing when other people support and believe in you, but is it essential? It is essential that you choose to believe in you. If desire reveals design and design reveals destiny, the lingering question is then this. How can you transform so that the reality in your mind reconciles with the one outside of it? What needs to take place so that you can get clarity on your life story? Enter the conversation you've always been in. My name is Daniel Bay and welcome to Transformation Theory. This podcast will give you the answer. Good morning, Sarah. Uh, pleasure to uh, um, just have the opportunity to kind of get together with you. Uh, we met, uh, I believe, about a week ago, uh, just yes. LinkedIn. And um, I, I really enjoyed and liked, you know, your, the content that you were uh, putting out there in the world. And I want to just kind of reach out, kind of get to know a little bit about who you are. And so we connected and, uh, and here we are today. Uh, just another opportunity to kind of get to know your mindset and, and your journey, really. And uh, how are you this morning? I'm doing really well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's bright and early. It's 9 a.m. here. I know it's about 10 a.m. on your end. And yes. So, uh, but uh, it's a great day to, uh, to, to have a great conversation. Absolutely. Every day, right? Like every day is a great day to have a conversation. Some day, days you're probably uh, in a better mindset than others. I think we can all agree with that. But it's always great to connect and learn from one another, I believe. Exactly, exactly. And so talking about connecting and learning, um, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and um, what's your mandate? And uh, just before we get into your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Sarah Westbrook, and I am a professional speaker on emotional resilience. So really looking at strategies to build emotional resilience. And I love the concept of that we're, we're natural emotional beings. We feel big emotions, right? So that's just not even a concept. It's actually just, just the way it is. But a lot of us don't like experiencing the tough emotions, right. like anger, frustration, sadness, anxious, overwhelmed, confusion, jealousy, disappointment. And then not only do we not like experiencing them, but we often don't like talking about them. And so when I develop strategies on emotional resilience, I'm really looking at ways that we can not only lean into this discomfort, move with it and move through it. So ultimately knowing that life is not about perfection, but it is about reflection and redirection. How can we reflect Right. And then how do we redirect to where we want to be, who we want to be, what matters to us most? And that's really a process. And I do believe that it's a skill worth learning and a skill worth continually practicing. Right. I know I'm mindfully practicing every day. You know what? Um, I, I just love what you said about, about the fact that it's a skill, right? Uh, and there are mm-hmm. people that are born uh, with having a, a, a a stronger inclination how to manage that skill and some people completely have to learn. And, mm-hmm. uh, and speaking of that, I know that who you are today and your ability to manage and teach those skills isn't something that, you know, came innately or maybe it did. Um, I'm just kind of curious, how did this journey start from you? 
for you? And how did you get to a place where you said, hey, you know what, this is what I want to do with my life? Okay, so we're going to have to go with the Coles version of this because this could be quite a story. Uh, so bullet point, when I was three years old, I told my mom I was going to be a singer. Right. By the time I was eight, I started taking singing lessons. By the time I was 11, I was a paid performer, singing, traveling around, singing was and is something I love to do. Around the same age, 11, my life as I knew it started to fall apart. My parents started to argue a lot. They eventually got separated, back together, and eventually down the road got divorced. There was a lack of relationship with my dad. Around the same time at school, there was challenges, gossip, drama, this one person in my class constantly making fun of me or just a look. You know, people just look at you and they're like, oh, why are you here? And I became this sponge, this sponge that was just absorbing all of the emotions that went around these circumstances. And my mom at the time could see that my happy-go-lucky spirit was actually being weighted down. It's like a sponge with water. It can only take on so much water before it starts to sink. And I could go to school, I could get good grades, I could hang out with my friends and smile at the teachers and look like I had it all together and positive, but I'd go home and it would be just an outlet of crying to the point where my mom was like, I don't know what to do with you. So what did she do? She sent me to every single support group, character education class, leadership course that she could get her hands on. It did not matter if she didn't have time or money and both were severely lacking after my parents' divorce. My mom made it her job to build the core of resilience, confidence, and emotional health in me. Right. And and I couldn't thank her at the time. Like, you know, like I wasn't a preteen being like, thank you, mom, for signing me up for all. No, I would have a full-on tantrum. I don't want to go. I, this is ridiculous. I got a good head on my shoulders. I'll be fine. Yeah. The saying that takes a village to raise a child, I'm a firm believer in. You know, even, I have an eight-year-old son. I'm a firm believer in it. Yeah. When you are a preteen and a teen, you think your village just needs to be more friends. <laughs> well, if I have more friends, I'll be fine. If I have more friends, I'll be confident. If I have more friends, I'll feel happy. Until you realize... It's actually working inside out. Mm -hmm. Like we've got to really look at who we want to be as a person. And then we also have to look at, okay, who are we surrounding ourselves with mentors? You know, so that the, we as parents and we as adults know that the village can't just be friends. It needs to be coaches and educators and people who have lived experience and and kids don't know that. So I didn't know that. And it wasn't until I was in you know, my mid-20s that I could look back and say, thank you, Mom. Thank you for signing me up for all those things I didn't want to go to because you gave me tools to put in my back pocket. And then I started on my journey of, of uh, speaking around the same time because my teacher thought I'd be great at it. And then now let's fast forward. I'm 19 years old. I'm singing at a mall. And a principal came up to me and said, can you sing at my school Hmm. and let students ask you questions about how you got to sing at stadiums for Blue Jays games. And so I said, okay. And 
I was so nervous. Wow. Like talk about emotions. And, and my greatest fear growing up was doing, you know, being misjudged and not being liked. Okay. Misjudged and not being liked. And now I'm going in front of a school singing and sharing. Like I, I was scared, but I was like, Hey, feel the fear, do it anyway. So I'm in front of the, 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 the auditorium and partway through, they weren't asking me questions anymore about music. They were asking me about my life. What kind of challenges did you have? Right. Where did you? And then I started to pull out ideas from my back pocket on emotional resilience. And, and then that was that moment where I, I saw that there was more for me than just the music. It, for me, it was about the emotional resilience strategies mixed with music because I love music. It's a great way to communicate mm. storytelling and that it was going to be all together. And then, so that's when I started the, the journey of working in schools and sharing and then sharing with educators and then sharing with parents and now also sharing with companies. Right. Awesome. Hey, you know what? We'll get to that shortly here. I know that you run uh, an organization called you power and, um, and so we'll get to that shortly here, but I wanted to go back to, you know, your story when you mentioned that your mom recognized um, mm. something going on inside of you, maybe not having the resources, time and money, but recognize that, Hey, you know what, if this young lady who's going to be a woman one day doesn't have the tool set to be able to kind of get through this journey of, you know, your dad leaving and a lot of just a lot of things happening that, you know what, this might have an effect. How did she have, you know, that foresight? Um, you know, how did she recognize that pivotal moment in your life? Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting. So my mom, around the same time, realized she needed to do her own inner work. Because she didn't want to live in blame, blaming other people or blaming the circumstance that she really wanted to be someone who saw circumstances as challenges that are chapters of her life and not her whole story. But those challenges, those chapters trigger big emotions and it can really almost without you being mindful, like if you don't choose to be mindful, they can just creep up on you. They can surprise you and be right there. And if you're not willing or wanting to look at them and really dive into them and move through them, mm -hmm. you can uh, stay really stuck and become really reactive and really resentful and do the, well, if this didn't happen to me, I wouldn't be this way. Blame. And she didn't want to do that. And, uh, you know, so she started on her journey of personal growth and self-work and she took me along for the ride. Oh, you know, you know, what's amazing about that story is that uh, it's a very relatable story in a sense that uh, my dad passed away when I was uh, seven years old. And uh, by the time my my um, my dad passed away, he left uh, seven kids. And just imagine. Wow. This is a single woman taking on the world essentially. Right. And, uh, and so in a, being in a mix, I'm the fifth wow. uh, child in my family and being in a mix of, of all that really the, the individual attention to be able to recognize where I was in my life wasn't there. Right. And so, mm -hmm. uh, she couldn't, you know, just, she was busy working and just kind of paying the bill, so to speak. Right. And so 
I remember a pivotal moment. That's why I asked you the question. How did she mm-hmm. recognize? Because I remember a pivotal moment where I realized, man, there's nobody around to really pay attention to how I'm handling the, the loss of my dad, how I'm handling school, how I'm handling. And so um, I always tell people that if um, in your mind, you constantly are looking to kind of close a loop, that loop is whatever you know, problem you're, trying to, you're facing in life. If you don't have an answer to that, you make it up. And if you make it up, that becomes, you know, the core message you stay with for the rest of your life until it's corrected. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, um, like I said, I think it's very, very pivotal for to take time. I'm a dad now. Uh, I got a seven month old. And uh, really, Ooh, congratulations. Yeah. And I really try to pay attention, at least, you know, to, to his emotional growth, as you mentioned, uh, because mm-hmm. I think, you know what, it's, it's just pivotal moments, right, that can really shape you. Right. Right. And I would say if I'm going to speak on my mom's behalf, I would say one of hers was, uh, and I can remember her just crying. Like there'd be days where I'd be, you know, I'm 11 years old and I'd be walking, stepping over her to get ready for school. Cause she'd just be laying crying. And, uh, I remember her in that mo having moments like that. And then one day realizing I've got to take care of you. So I think that there was that mo somewhere in that grief that was happening because your grief is you know, the loss of anything, the loss of uh, what you expected the relationship to be. And, and so that mo there was moments like that where I think she became really aware that the journey was bigger and for for me and for her she had to work on herself and then she wanted to bring me along for the ride because like you said she knew that i was growing up to be an adult that she also wanted me to have wisdom to make different choices and it goes back to that saying pass on your wisdom to your kids not your wounds Love that. And that, right? Like that gives me chills. It's powerful. So we learn from people how we want to be. And if we're aware enough, we learn how we don't want to be. And I think that there's, you know, so much to be said about just being, practicing being mindful so that you can, you can see that you can see where's wounds, where's wisdom, where's where I want to be, where I don't want to be, where I, what I want to learn and what I don't want to learn about. Something. From my experience, um, one thing I've learned um, is that a lot of it is caught than, than taught. So um, if you have uh, uh, an emotional, aware um, individual in your life, like your mom or your dad, walking a life where they're intentional about their personal growth. Right. You, can catch a lot of it right but it takes a while for you to actually consciously not start making a choice that hey right. you know, this is really how I want to walk and and but that's why you mentioned I love what you said about it was in your back pocket right it took a while mm. for you to actually take those tools and start using but they were already there because she put you in those courses and uh, and allows you to kind of learn some of the you know basic understanding on how to handle emotions and so on and so forth you're 100% right. And I think too, when we look at evoking a shift, it's about planting those seeds and you water those seeds, but you don't know when they're going to take root. You can lead a horse to water. You can't make the horse drink, but when the horse is thirsty, 
They'll know where the water is. They'll know it's there. They'll know to get back there. And that was me, you know, even as a teenager, sure, I made mistakes that, or made choices that didn't prove that I was being confident. It just proved I was acting out of emotion or trying to fit in as opposed to trying to just belong um, and know about just belonging. But then when I had the tools in my back pocket, I knew where to go as opposed to never having them. And then you're just, you're just continually just repeating a pattern. That's not always a healthy one. <laughs> you know, something that you say, um, uh, that I read was that uh, she wanted you to understand the power of choice and possibility. I uh, just absolutely that saying, um, and obviously, absolutely, yeah, and obviously, uh, like you said, when you have that in your back pocket, when the timing is right, um, you know, you you start digging. You, you know, I found myself mm -hmm. in various occasions um, reverting back to past lessons that I that I've had you know just through the different experiences but I had to look back you know some of the things that my, my mom taught me as a kid right um, uh, one of the things that she she always just said that I love was um, uh, you can never fight anybody this close right face to face you really have you have to put you you have to distance yourself from them for you to gain perspective so you can know how to be able to handle any one situation but when you saw into it um, um, but anyway, those are kind of advice that I had over time. I like that. Yeah, like a boxer, right? When they're too close to, close to each other, you can't really punch. But when you step back, you can kind of assess and then be able to kind of punch. And so those are one of those uh, gems, really, that I really cherish to this day because those are lessons that she learned. She had to step away, especially when my dad passed, uh, and reevaluate the situation and, and decide what's mm. best for me and my kids and how do we move forward, right? And so... Right. Um, yeah, love it. Um, and so, yeah, you mentioned that journey got you, got you to a point where, um, you know, just through circumstances and people recognizing your talent uh, for singing, first of all, and uh, mm -hmm. it became something that you merged with speaking. So just before right. the speaking portion of it, um, you know, singing was a passion of yours, something that you cherished and you wanted to become uh, a world-class uh, singer. And to some... Oh, yes. And, it, and you pursued it to, to, for a very long time. Oh, yeah. No, look it. I can, I can whip out in this song right now if I wanted. 4 a.m., why are my eyes still open? We can get some music going. Love it. Um, it's so much a part of me, yeah. I, I, heard, I heard a story um, just through some of the, the videos I watched. Uh, you were presenting at... Um, can't believe I can't remember where it was, but where you shared mm -hmm. the story about your um, American Idol or Canadian Idol experience. Oh yes, see, and this is what goes back to: not every experience is going to be how you expect it to be or want it to be. So I'm a big believer in circumstances happen; they're not always in your control. But the good news is you do have control over your choices, how you choose to act, how you choose to react, what you choose to believe, who you choose to become. I mean, that's your power right there is in your, your choices of action, reaction, and belief. So when I went to the Canadian Idol experience, uh, there's two rounds of judges before you get in front of the celebrity judges. Right, so both rounds of judges talk about emotions again. I'm nervous, I'm anxious, I'm scared. Again, I am worried about oh, being misjudged and 
but I'm stepping, I'm leaning into the discomfort of nervous and I'm choosing respect for myself and my dreams. Saying my song, both rounds of judges were like, great job. You are on to the celebrity judges. So I'm pumped. I'm like, yes, here we go. Go to Toronto, celebrity judges, talk about nervous, but I'm taking a deep breath and I sing my song and they look at me and they say, you can't sing, give up and do something else. Oh, wow. So then in that moment, I can't snap my fingers and make their opinion go away. Right. But that, but now I have to, now I'd have to decide, okay, so what, who, what do I believe from this? It's amazing when other people support and believe in you, but is it essential? It is essential that you choose to believe in you, regardless of negative opinions, regardless of judgments, because there's going to be people that are, are so in their own pain, in their own stuff, and they're just projecting it onto you. So are you going to, are you going to let them win? Are you going to take on their junk and their emotional state? Right. Or are you going to say, wow, that was painful. Yeah, that's embarrassing. But I'm going to take a deep breath. And what's my, who do I want to be out of all this? Well, I want to be someone who respects myself, others, and my dreams. So if I give up out of anger and frustration because they say I can't sing, am I respecting myself, others, and my dreams? So no, I'm not. But if I take a deep breath and scream into a pillow <laughs> and you know talk to people vent whatever you do that helps you move through and move with an emotion and then i say okay but out of respect for myself and my dreams i'm going to keep singing right. and and i'm and i'm glad that i did because that was the that was a moment where it could have gone either way i could have chosen to believe them or give up and give up or say that's your opinion and it doesn't mean much not till i say it does when it comes to myself my body my life my dreams right you know um when i heard you uh when i saw it was actually the international women's day presentation that you gave um and uh when i you know when you shared that story the, the thing that you said next is that you had to you had two choices to make the next morning is either believe in yourself mm -hmm. or believe in your opinions of others and, uh, and so would you say, what tool did you take from your toolbox to actually deal with that moment? Because I know that's a very pivotal and very defining moment in your life, right? Mm -hmm. uh, was there anything in particular that you said, hey, you know what, this is something that I've heard my mom say, or, you know, what did you pull from mm -hmm. your past experience or from your toolbox to be able to handle that situation? What you make things mean is really powerful. So we love creating stories around opinions and circumstances. Our brain loves it. It's good at it. And I thought, okay, so if I make it mean, you can't say and give up that I'm not good enough because of that, that I should just give up, that I don't have what it takes. Well, then I feel defeated. I feel disappointed. I feel shame. I feel uh, anger. And then out of those emotions, it's easy to be like, I'm done. But if I hear you can't sing, give up, and I make it mean, okay, that's your opinion. That's what you believe. But I know who I am. And I'm not going to take that right to my heart as the truth. I'm going to take it as that is what you said. 
that's where you're at. But I know what I'm capable of. And maybe this is actually going to be that moment where I can use it to springboard me ahead. Mm-hmm. Right? Everyone has that moment. You hear all sorts of artists. I mean, Usher was told he couldn't, he couldn't, he'd never make it. Right. You know, there, Michael Jordan didn't make his high school basketball team. So it's those moments where you say, okay, I have a choice here. What do I make this mean? Do I make it mean I'm not good enough? Or do I hear what they're saying? I say, okay, how does that resonate with me? Is there any truth to that? Is there any truth to that? And then what do I want to believe about me? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really where, where that tool for me came in handy is looking at what happens to you versus what do you make it mean? Yes. What do you make it mean? Yes. Um, and, I, and I just love that. And I think that's a superpower. Um, and, and very rarely people tap into that because uh, depending on how you, you're wired and your disposition in life, you either get your energy from the outside world and there are people who get the energy from within, right? And mm-hmm. we need dis- disregard uh, what other people think. And I think there's a, there's a middle ground where you need to achieve in life where you mm. are accepting of people's opinions and what, what they say, but not to the point where it defines you. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. that is a very, very fine line because, you know, there are people who completely reject or completely accept. And, uh, and I've found that um, you have to get to a point of maturation where you are um, allowing both to coexist, but not letting either or define you um, and, and, and your journey. And um, like I said, it's a superpower when you can self-reflect and, um, and, and really look at things objectively and, and not always take it personally. Not easy though. Right. Oh my goodness. It's so true. I just did a post on my Instagram about this. Cause on my Instagram, I do do a lot of posts on emotional resilience strategies and ideas and concepts like we're talking about today. And I said, there's a big difference and there's a fine line between these two. There's a fine line between reflection and obsession. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I know that there'd be moments for me where I'm like, okay, life is not about perfection. It is about reflection and redirection. But I'd spend so much time in reflection that I'd never allow myself to redirect. I'd spend so much time almost not forgiving myself for what I didn't know, that it would become obsessive. Like I'd be stuck in that. And, And there would be moments where you just feel so down on yourself so disappointed or so much shame or embarrassment or anger or sadness that really for me it was like whoa i need to have the ability to reflect to forgive myself for what i did not know right. forgive those around me for they're they're on their own journey and forgiveness is not saying what happened is right. It's just saying I'm not willing to carry around the pain, the hurt, resentment, because it's only going to hurt you in the end. So then I need to be able to move from reflection to redirection. Otherwise, too much time in reflection can become easily obsession. Right. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, but I didn't do that. Shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right. Yeah. Forgiveness. I've heard, I've Forgive heard. yourself. I've heard it say that people who spend a lot of time thinking about the past tend to go into depression and people who tend to think a lot about the future tend to anxious anxiety. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is that balance where you live in the present, um, but still, you know, um, 
utilizing what the past has offered you and also thinking about the future. You've touched on a big point, which is uh, our wandering brain, which happens just over 46% of the time we're calculated to have a wandering brain. And you ever heard that saying like a wandering brain is an unhappy brain where you're, you're never in the present. You're either wandering past, like you said, in too much past can trigger. Okay. Now I'm getting disappointed. Now I'm, now I'm in depression too much future can make anxious unless you're thinking about the future of a beautiful Caribbean holiday. <laughs> like you're like, I'm going to be on the beach soon. Um, but then, so then they say, okay, so the mindful brain, the brain that's in the present is happy because it's just dealing with what's here and now. And even if there's something that's happening here and now, that's not triggering happiness, you're mindful so that you can move with and through it. You're not worrying and you're not in, down and outland. So your mindfulness practice is huge. And I started actually during this pandemic, started doing five to 10 minutes of mindful meditation or mindful breathing. Whoa, have I noticed a difference? And I didn't think I'd like it. I didn't think that I'd be, you know, you think, oh, well, am I going to be good at it? Like my mind wanders even when I'm doing the mindful breathing and meditation. It's all good. Yeah. But the research behind doing that five to 10 minutes isn't even about that five to 10 minutes. There was research done where people that were studied that did five to 10 minutes of mindful meditation each morning mm -hmm. actually increased the gray matter in their brain. They actually increased the gray matter in their brain, allowing that mindfulness, not just to be for that five to 10 minutes, but actually throughout the day. That even when your brain wandered, you'd have a place to bring it back to because you had practiced. Your brain had a blueprint. And then the research behind the boost in happiness was huge. And I was like, okay, um, when I was taking this course, I had to choose a rewirement. And one I chose was practicing five to 10 minutes of meditation for four weeks. And then you just see, do you notice a difference? If you don't, well, you can say been there, done that. But the, 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 it's an astronomically great chance that if you stay committed to it, you're going to notice a big boost in mindfulness, and mindfulness helps with happiness. I love that. I love that. Um, um, I, I'm, a, I'm a true believer in, um, in, in, in practicing your breathing and practicing, you know, just collecting yourself and being present mm -hmm. uh, because your, your mind uh, tends to wander. And so when you take the time to exercise, um, you're just collecting yourself and being, and being present. Um, you know, let's move, let's move forward to your, 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 you power message. Um, something that I always tend to tell people, um, is, uh, uh, friends of mine is that, uh, the greatest work you'll ever have to do in your life is self mastery. And that work always begins with a little child in you. And, um, and when I, when I kind of did a little bit of research around your you power message, I noticed your, your demographic, your target demographic is, you know, uh, a, a much younger demographic. Um, I'm just mm -hmm. curious, uh, is that something that was intentional or did you just find that, hey, this is kind of how things kind of unfolded? Mm -hmm. Well, great question. So you power is the presentations I do for youth. Uh, so they're your youth educators, parents, and then I have another company well, it's all under the same umbrella, but I have another, which is 3E Emotional Development, and that's in the workplace. Right. So I have two different 
versions of presentations and the one you're talking about, you power me, you have the power to choose, not every circumstance, but action, reaction, and belief. And I know the difference that it made for me when my mom enrolled me into all these character development courses and support groups when I was a preteen and teen. So that became my target. Uh, you know, 13 years ago when I started was, okay, so I want them to have tools in their back pocket as soon as possible. Because I know that you decide so much about yourself in the world really between the ages of seven and 12. So if I could get them even before high school, planting the seed of the power of choice, the power of moving through your emotions and, and beyond moving through them, moving with them. Mm-hmm. Instead of fighting emotions, how do you feel them? Instead of letting emotions use you, how do you use them for motivation, for determination? Uh, so I started with, with youth and then started with educators because they were like, well, I want to know these concepts for myself and for my class and then parents. And then it evolved to the three E emotional development in the workplace. So looking at, 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 and even as adults, we still need that reminder that you have permission to feel, but what are you going to do with that? So you can be proactive with your mental well being, And so that you can be, a leader that has confidence and resilience. Right. And uh, the, the three e emotional development, uh, the, the three, uh, you know, aspects that you kind of deal with is emotional management, awareness, and resilience. How do you define mm-hmm. the three? How do you separate them? What's the difference in your perspective? So emotional awareness is just being aware of the emotion you're feeling, even putting a name to it. And oftentimes we can be like, I don't know how I'm feeling. Or you ask someone and they're like, I'm fine. And so they're, I'm, I'm saying just be aware of the emotion you're feeling and then also how it's physically feeling in your body. So I could be like, hey, I'm getting nervous right now. Okay, where do I feel that? Okay, I feel that in my stomach. It's uncomfortable. Okay, instead of me pretending it's not there, I'm going to actually support that feeling. I'm going to allow myself to feel that feeling. Okay, so okay, now I can feel my heart's racing. Okay, I'm going to start with a, I'm going to start with the deep breathing because the deep breathing is going to help my nervous system. And even naming an emotion, there was research to say that it can lower the cortisol levels in your body. And we know that we we the cortisol levels we don't we need them, but we don't want them to be like all over the place, like super high and super, we want. So we're just we're just recognizing we're just recognizing. Okay, I'm feeling nervous. This is where it's feeling. The management part is, okay, so now what do I do with that emotion? Because am I just going to become reactive out of it? You know, like going back to Canadian Idol, I started to feel embarrassed and angry. So if I just react, like knee-jerk reaction out of that emotion, and I start blasting them back, and you're really giving them the what for, it's going to feel good in the moment because I'm going to feel like, I'm I, you deserve this. You were rude. I'm angry. And then literally 10 seconds later for me, when I leave the room and I go back into reflection, I will be like, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but I didn't do that. And now the emotion is guilt, regret, and even shame. Why? Cause I just made a knee jerk reaction of emotion instead of making a choice out of my character. If I made a choice of my character of respect for myself and others, I can still feel angry, mm-hmm. but my, my talking or my choice is going to be very different. 
Because I'm sure you felt angry before, but still treated yourself and someone around you with respect, correct? Correct, yeah. So we practice ways to manage it, to say, okay, you can feel angry. Feel angry. What are you going to do with anger so you can still be respectful, kind, and caring? That's a skill because that's hard. Are you going to breathe? Are you going to open and close your fist? Are you going to think about something you're grateful for? Are you going to, do you need to remove yourself from the situation altogether? And then the resilience part comes in. So now you've, you're, you're aware of your emotion. You've identified it. You see where it feels in your body. And I have tools to help with that. Mm -hmm. And then you managed it. I have tools to help with that too. So just being aware of what you're going to do to manage it. And so really self-regulation. And then, so now what are you going to do to be able to bounce back and move forward? Mm -hmm. Right? So you don't want to, you don't want to stay in that emotional state over and over and over and over again. You want to say, okay, so now what do I need to do? Who do I want to be in the world? Like, how do I want to show up? And for me, what really helps me bounce back is going right back to my character, going back to, okay, if I'm respecting myself, I'm respecting others, I'm respecting my dreams. What choice will I make? And when I have a mindset of, okay, this is what I want my end result to be, uh, then it can help propel me to move forward. Another thing for bouncing back, which is great, is the act of gratitude. Mindfully being grateful uh, allows us to create a completely different emotional state. Mm -hmm. So that can also help you bounce back. And it's really about using your brain and using the things that it does to your benefit. So our brain likes comparison. So how do we use comparison to our benefit as opposed to comparing and feeling defeated? How do you use comparison to your benefit? So just strategies that help us bounce back. I love that. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that I've, I've learned for the last little while is um, making, learn, how, learn to utilize, you know, your, your makeup and how you, you think and how you work to your advantage mm -hmm. rather than to your disadvantage, rather than letting it cripple you and say, hey, I'm always doing this. I'm always behaving right. like this. Okay, how do I turn it to a positive? Uh, a good example would be um, if, if you're somebody who tends to, as the example I gave earlier about uh, if you tend to reflect a lot of, about your past, you know, how can you use that kind of, you know, mentality to kind of shape you um, in a sense that uh, how can you use the lessons you've learned rather than letting it cripple you all the time? But you have to start using, you know, your makeup to your advantage rather than to your disadvantage. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. um, and I think your, your lessons really touch on a lot of, uh, of management and awareness and resilience. I think it's something that everybody really needs. Uh, it's not an age thing, you know, because you can be 30, no. you can be 50 and still dealing with a three, a three year old emotion. Right. Or Absolutely. And it's an ongoing journey. I say it's a skill. It's a muscle. It's something where just because you don't have it right now doesn't mean forever just means not yet. Just because you've got it strong right now doesn't mean you just stop working on it. It's like your bicep. If you got it really nice and then you say, well, I'm never working out again over time, it would weaken. So it's just about having tools to continually exercise and, and put the effort in and, and then be aware that sometimes you fall off track and that's okay too. forgive yourself. And then here's the blueprint to get back on track Love so that you can move with it, Love it. and you can feel it instead of fight it. 
And so where can people find your work? Where, where can we reach you to kind of learn more? And I can obviously be, see behind you that there's a lot of information. So one of the great ways, especially if your company is 3eemotionaldevelopment.com. Also, yeah, you can check me out on Instagram as well as on Twitter. <laughs> uh, you know, um, and if you're a school or a teacher or a parent, then going to sarahwestbrook.com is a great way to check that out. So uh, different programs for different ages and different presentations, whether you are a company, an organization, a school, a parent. And I really think you've hit the nail on the head. It's for all ages. And even myself, everything I share, every emotional, resilient strategy I share, I'm continually working on myself because I do believe that it is a muscle and a skill worth investing in. Love it. So one last question for you before we sign off here. Um, what's the message you want to leave um, in this world? What's the one thing that you really want to make sure that people know you for? And, uh, and yeah, what's the message you want to leave? Challenges are chapters of your life and not your whole story. Remembering that you matter and other people matter is so essential because when you really feel and know in your heart that you are enough, that you were born enough, you affect change. Love it. Sarah, thank you very much for the time, your perspective, uh, your work. I believe it's, uh, it's something that everybody needs, uh, you know, just dealing with emotions on a, on a regular basis for the rest of our lives. And so thank you right. for your time and uh, we'll definitely be in touch. Thank you. It was wonderful chatting with you.